from Daylight. I'm Kazuki Akiba. I'm Brandon Beiser. And this is Sayonara Baseball. This is a podcast where you and I find unseen baseball gems by analyzing them alongside different trends, news, and motivation behind many moves around the league today. On today's episode, we'll talk about the draft, the home run derby, the all-star game, and a preview of the second half of Major League Baseball season. Alonzo comes out of the timeout and walks it off. What a finish. Alonzo defends his title. The 2021 Derby champion put the belt on again. Welcome to today's episode, everyone. Today is Thursday, July 15th, 2021. And off the top, let me give you a quick podcast schedule update. Today's episode, which will be delivered honor about. So welcome to July 22nd, I think, if this is being released on that day. Kazuki and I are going to take a little bit of an extended break than our usual bi-weekly schedule. And that is for a couple of reasons. One, we don't want to record another episode before the trade deadline. We want the trade deadline to pass, and then we'll record our next episode. The other factor involved in this is the Olympics. We're not sure if we want how I want to cover the Olympics yet. So we want to see how the Olympics kind of progresses a little bit before we decide how to do that. So our next episode will probably be recorded a week or so after our normal schedule. So make sure you are subscribed wherever you find your podcast to get the next episode. In the interim, there may be a bonus episode release that we have in our catalog. So you might, you'll get that in the interim. If not, next episode will be a regular episode when it comes out. Second update, before we get into the news news, we have the friend of the podcast news, Josie Tellier who is a graphic designer from Montreal. Todd introduced to us to her via Twitter. A proud fan of Montreal Expos, one of the many remaining in Montreal, I must say, won a graphic design contest for her baseball card. She designed baseball cards of Josh Gibson, who is a Hall of Famer. So congratulations to her. That was with Beckett, the card maker. The other thing, which will have happened by the time this episode is released, but I'm mentioning it now because it's just really awesome that the people that I'm about to mention, I know all of them, and Kazuki will probably be familiar with most of them too. The New York Times reported today on Thursday that Major League Baseball's Game of the Week on YouTube, which will be Baltimore versus Tampa Bay on Tuesday, July 20th from St. Petersburg, will have an all-female broadcast, which is wonderful and historic in its own right. But the people they have selected for this are all people Kazuki and I have followed, and I believe at least mentioned once during this season in our show. The play-by-play will be Melanie Newman, who we have raved about for her work with the Baltimore Orioles, um, and her particularly her very smart analysis of Cedric Mullins, Trey Mancini, and other players. Second will be the great Sarah Langs, who is an MLB producer and has is the stats guru for everything along the lines. Third will be Alana Rizzo, who will be a reporter on the field. Alana is previously with the Red Sox, then the Dodgers, and now works Major League Baseball Network. Uh, and then the two anchors who will be in studio will be Heidi Watney and Laura Gardner. Lauren Gardner and Heidi Watney both cover MLB's Quick Pitch, which is that late night pro- um, programming for highlights. So just so you all know where that's all coming from. Uh, hopefully this game will get played as scheduled and we'll get to see all these wonderful people perform as they are. And we're just proud of them. I think it's really cool. Um, to see all these people. I remember when Alana was with the Red Sox. I think Heidi Watney may have been with the Red Sox too. I haven't checked that 
right when this new article came out. But it was just really cool to see all these names I've known and now they're going on a broadcast together. So it's like your all-star team. Now to the baseball news. And there's a lot of baseball news outside of the all-star game and all the festivities along with that. The sad news to start. On July 10th, Saturday, Braves are playing the Marlins. Ronald Acuna Jr. is going back on a ball in right field. And because you can, I don't know how to describe this other than the fact that he went one way because and, and tried to track the ball. But by tracking the ball this way, he ended up in a position, which I don't think he expected to, where he was really close to the wall and he made a play. And the way he twisted and turned, and we later learned he tore his ACL. Uh, he tried to get off the field, wasn't able to walk off the field. Um, he's gone for the season. According to the Atlanta Journal of Constitution's McLean Baxley, he is out uh, for the season. So will that provoke them to trade for a player? We don't know, but the, we hope he comes back healthy, presumably in 2022 at this point. But that was the main negative news off of that one. Other injury news related to another All-Star, which is Buster Posey was on the IL just for the All-Star break. But the interesting thing is who they called up. Joey Bart who is their premier catching prospect. And Joey Bart came up along with a swap of putting Logan Webb, who is their top pitching prospect, down to AAA, according to Maria Guardado at MLB.com. So that's the news there. So we'll see what happens. Um, Kurt Casale was doing great when he was filling in. So they have, a, they, have a, they have a stalwart of pitchers right there. I mean, of catchers to really help them out. So good for them. Across the bay... By the time this podcast is released, the vote in Oakland will have taken place by the city council's budget, which will either approve or not approve the ability to fund this waterfront ballpark in Oakland. Now, I don't know if this will really happen. We It's anyone's best guess. I will say that here are some facts we have learned recently. According to Mick Akers of the Las Vegas Review Journal, a fourth visit from the management and ownership of the Oakland Athletics with Dave Cable and company is the day after this is taking place. So, so when this podcast is released, the Oakland Athletics management will probably be in Las Vegas working with talking with them. At the commissioner's media availability over All-Star Week, he stated that the decision about the team to stay in Oakland or not essentially lies in the vote. There's nothing else to really say. And that's according to ESPN's Alta Gonzalez. In our next episode, we'll presumably have some updates about what's going to happen. Again, this is several years out in terms of the actual moving, but I don't know. That's basically the thing. Because I mean, you gave me, basically, the, we've purchased enough time this week, but it seems like it's the I don't know. It all comes down to this one day kind of thing. That's basically where, where we're at. The other bits of news, Will Craig, who was just tagged first base, Will Craig in that game with Javi Baez, has left the Pittsburgh Pirates and is now moving over to the KBO for the remainder of the season. He's with the Key Wound Heroes uh, for the remainder of the season, hoping to come back when his contract expires for the Pittsburgh Pirates. We learned just moments ago, according to ESPN, that Hector Santiago's suspension has been upheld. And he will be out for however many games are in the balance of what he was getting suspended for. Whatever that means with the actual rule changes, we don't know. But he had the sticky stuff on his glove. 
put some lockdown his glove, and move on. And then we have a few early trades, moves ahead of the formal trade deadline. We talked about the Corey Dickerson trade. There was the trade which brought Willie Adamas to Milwaukee, JP Fireisen to Tampa Bay. Now we have some more. Adam Eaton to the Angels. Jared Duran has been called up by the Red Sox versus the Yankees, which starts tonight, July 15th, as the first game back at the All-Star break. And Rowdy Telez has been played, has been traded to the Brewers for Trevor Richards and Bowden Francis. Some minor moves, not, no big names. I will say the call-up of Jared Duran's a big deal. And the Adam Eaton move is a deal in the sense that they had a, a lot of outfielders on that team. And they're also getting more and more prospects to come up a little bit for the White Sox, which I think provoked the need to move Eaton. He's a good player. And and also, I mean, Eden was underperforming all season. So, and they already had Adam Engel and a couple other guys coming Adam up. Adam Engel so. is, is the guy. You had him, keep him. He's going to play. So we'll see what happens. That's the news. It's a lot of news. We'll probably have more, a much wider and larger news section we come back in a few weeks. But to the episode, we're going to go through our regular statements and a couple bonus ones today. In the cycle, draft recap, home run derby recap. All-Star Game Recap, Trade Deadline Preview. We're going to do our tips of the caps this week to... I'm going to mention names off the top because I think they both played extremely well to get through. Trey Mancini's performance in the Home Run Derby was incredible. Freddie Peralta making the All-Star Game and then pitched pretty well. He's part of the battery now for the Brewers, like that, that collection of pitchers. It's not just Corbin Burns anymore. It's Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Feralta, and the other back end of Hater. So they seem to have just add and add and add to their parts. Our given the hook is about some underperforming teams. I'm a repeat offender on mine. Our walk-up songs this week is a special one. I will call it a mixtape edition uh, because as we look at the trade deadline, it's a breakup. Teams are breaking apart. So naturally, being a child of the early 2000s, I thought of a breakup mixtape like you'd make on your CD player. Like I thought of that. So I got four songs for you today about breakups, the, the evolution of a breakup along those ways. Extra innings today will be a quick segment about some cool commercials we saw during the All-Star game, which always is interesting to see. And then the walk-off will be our second half early predictions, which are probably way too early, but we're just going to go with them. And with that, we'll go into the cycle. We'll first start with, we'll kind of go chronologically. The draft started on Sunday night. The 11th. First pick overall was Henry Davis, University of Louisville catcher. Davis is known as a great hitter, and the preview pick um, videos they have him was how he could lit- throw out any purse at second base. The counter to that is his general defensive skills require the most development. Dan Mullen in ESPN basically said he's going to be called up quickly just because it's the Pirates. But that's basically all I have about him, Kazuki. That's basically what the, the real nature of that is. The first round pick being called up quickly, I think, was an anomaly when you think of what we saw the past couple of years with Manoa alike, uh, with players getting called up, the Dustin May types, all those players getting called up really quickly. But there's a comparable guy you can look at for University of Louisville that plays that premier catcher position, and that's in LA, uh, Will Smith. Right. So Will Smith, if we Will could Smith look at was. Will Smith as a comp. Right. Will Smith 
when he he kept a little I thought nice not very quickly he came up pretty quickly but he stuck around I mean he is not he's not really gone back down and he's performed that tandem with Austin Barnes most of his career in LA so I think that's the good one uh second pick overall went to the Vanderbilt pitcher Jack Leiter son of Al Leiter we expected that to kind of happen then we saw the precipitous what I call the Aaron Rodgers moment of the major league baseball draft this year Kumar Rocker fell to number 10 and he fell into the hands of the New York Mets. Now, let's review the New York Mets rotation. Jacob DeGrom, Noah Syndergaard, and if Taiwan Walker can hang around, Taiwan Walker, and Marcus Stroman. And basically, you're going to slide in Kumar Rocker in a couple of years at the number three, four, five spot. That is one heck of a rotation. Because basically, you have heat, heat, and then creativity, creativity, and then just style. Because I would say Walker, Stroman, and Rocker are more stylized pitchers. They don't have like a lot of the, 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 the speed that Syndergaard and DeGrom have. Obviously, DeGrom and Syndergaard are fantastic. But those are five, those are three all-stars, at least. Was Stroman an all-star? Stroman probably was an all-star at some point, I hope. Um, well, not this season, but yeah, he was an all-star in I, 2019. Right. When he was at the Blue Jays. So there you go. And so you have that. I'm not sure you'll ever see a pitching crew that good for a while. That, that That's incredible. Um, the reason why he fell, according to many scouts and reporters, was in 2021, they kind of saw some flaws in his velocity and command, which he's 21. I expect that to happen. So we'll see how he develops. So the Mets got him at number 10. And then we, we go down a little bit more in terms of picks. Uh, as we said, Mississippi State won the College World Series. Their top pitcher, Will Bednar, goes to the Giants. He came off a World Series, College World Series, where he only allowed three runs in 18 to third innings, which is pretty remarkable. So we'll see that. There were four shortstops, all high schoolers, picked in the first 16 picks. Marcelo Mayer of was picked fourth for Boston, Jordan Lawler, sixth for Arizona, Brady House, 11th for Washington, and Khalil Watson out of Wake Forest High School went 16th to Miami. I've heard good things about all of them. I just always think I see high schoolers, I think they'll take require a, little, require a little more time to develop. But to see shortstop such a popular position, I think we've talked about this before. When you have shortstops, they're versatile. They can pretty much play everything. We're seeing that in Tampa Bay right now. They have three shortstops that are not playing, none of them playing shortstop when they think of other prospects. So I think that's the interesting thing. Uh, we brought up another pitcher, which was an interesting comp in terms of pitching, which was St. Louis selected Michael McGreevy in the first round from UC Santa Barbara. And if we all remember who the last person, the pitcher reflected in the first round from Santa Barbara, that was Shane Bieber. And if you look at Shane Bieber and you look at Michael McGreevy, they kind of look similar. So St. Louis can hope for that, but that's a good piece. And the fact that you threw in there, which I thought was lovely, the LA Angels drafted pitchers for the first 20 rounds of this draft. Uh, Los Angeles. Or, sorry, Los Angeles Angels and Anaheim. Hello. That's a lot of pitchers. I hope your minor league has a wonderful rotation for the next, like, decade. Because basically that's what they did. I don't really know what that's going to amount to. I think their major league roster has so many issues right now that do whatever the hell you do whatever you want down there. But so, I mean, if you look at most of the draft, this draft, most of them were pitchers that were drafted. So it's just Angels top probably didn't excess because 
they have nobody else to like, they have no one in the minors. So they had to find a pitcher to fill in that rotation. Right. That they just, they just had pieces to fill. So with that, we conclude our draft recap and we move on to the festivities of Monday night, the home run derby, which in my opinion was the highlight of all-star game festivities. We'll go through a quick round by round recap and because you can offer some of our thoughts here. The first round, before we even got to Shohei Otani versus Juan Soto, Trini Mancini had a blast of a first round. 24 home runs. Uh, he seemed to get a lot, not really, really far, but he had a 498s, 496s, but he was hitting them out of the yard. He started off hot and kept going. Uh, Trevor Story hit a home run that was 515 feet. Juan Soto, which we'll talk about later on, hit a 520, so a lot of long home runs. Uh, Joey Gallo, who was competing against Trevor Story, started off really slow. And then at the end of the f- his round, plus the bonus time, he cracked so many home runs that he fell one shy. And to watch Joey Gallo just kind of do that, and then you come up to the next crest was Pete Alonzo, who somehow marked 35 in the, in the first round. Pete Alonzo's swing looks like just like, a retractor, like a, like it looks like he's a rubber band. He just keeps going back and forth, back and forth, and he hit 35 in the first round. And then we get to the match I want to talk about, just Juan Soto versus Shohei Otani. Juan Soto comes up first, absolutely goes insane, hits 22. He was 22. Shohei Otani starts and starts hitting like ground ball doubles every time. Gets a couple, takes a break, gets the phone call from Mike Trout. What are you doing, Shohei? Get back in there. Comes back, and as if he has Mike Trout energy, just starts hitting them out of the, I mean, they were to the sky. I, I mean, I looked at them. It looked like they were going to leave the ballpark. They were so high up there. And he tied him in that round. Then they go to a uh, first overtime. They tie again. Then they go to a three swing off and Soto hit three for three. And Otani missed on his first one. And Otani knew it. I think everyone in the ballpark was really excited because they got a first round, a first round, wizard matchup just because of how quick and exciting everyone was. But then you got, you ended with that. So what did you think of Shohei's performance, what we saw at all in the rest of the first round? I mean, if you look at the home run derby, it's not just a guy on the plate. It's a guy who's throwing to you. And I think the problem with Shohei's matchup was the fact that he was not used to the pitcher who was getting, which I don't know who that was. Um, so I think that really didn't help him because he wasn't throwing to the spot that Shohei likes to hit. He was throwing it kind of all over the place because if you look at Pete Alonso's like matchup, his pitcher was throwing it right to where he want his sweet spot all the time, consistently. It never changed. If you do like a whole like layover of those like all of those pitches, it's almost at the same location. So I think this whole matchup kind of proved that you need a good pitching partner. You know, um, usually most of the hitters bring their dads to like, you know, pitch them at the home run derby, like how Cody Bellinger and Bryce Harper did in their own home run derby. So uh, I think that was a disadvantage for Shohei. But other than that, that was exciting. Juan Soto is a fearless competitor. He just kind of knew that whenever you see him at the plate, you just know he has this intensity in him where he's just so focused and concentrated. And by the time you're doing it, he will never give up. He will never stop fighting. But the funny, uh, the crazy part is he's so young and he's so poised that nothing is like scaring him. He just enjoying his time out there. So lesson to everyone in the world, it was life. Just enjoy yourself. Don't be like so intense and tight about doing anything. Just be like Juan Soto. 
Yeah, none, none of them look really tight uh, at all. Matt Olson was probably obviously the, maybe the idea, the lackluster performance, but he still did great. Like every person really like loosened up a little bit. I think Shohei took a little time to loosen up, but when he did, and same with Joey Gallo, it's just out, out and out every time. And Shohei obviously lasted a, into many rounds and ended up losing. But that was an exciting first round. And we get to the second round, Trey Mancini versus Trevor Story. And Trey Mancini beat Trevor Story 20, 23 seconds left on the clock. Wow. That, Story that, didn't that, hit that, anything. That probably was an upset. I would call that an upset. A little bit. Well, yeah, it's more like the underperformance of Trevor Story. He just didn't hit enough home runs. Right. And then Trey Mancini doing it in that ballpark, which is Trevor Story's home ballpark. And then Pete Alonso took his style and just outplayed Juan Soto. Have you noticed like what was like whole uh you know what made what made this home run derby so different? It's all like the advantages went to right-handed hitters. The left-handed right, hitters got the, knocked out so quickly. The, the if you look, someone's got to do a map of the Colorado Rockies, of course, field right field porch is just easier to hit to it. Seems frankly, that left that center that left center out cove where the, the trees are in the bullpens, it's just so hard to to get it up there and out and over. Because I noticed a lot of the home runs to right center and over were just. Towers. I mean, they were towering home runs into the upper decks. There were a few that landed in the bullpen, but they're mostly towers. And the ones to the left field were just up concourse, concourse. Because it just flew out. It just flew out because there was this. It just goes all the way out. That ballpark looks so big on TV. I never really noticed how big it looks. It looks so big on TV. And then the finals. Trey Mancini hit 17 in regular time, extra five in his bonus time, 22 total. Pete Alonso comes up. Hits the same 17 in regular time. Goes to his T-Mobile bonus time and goes six for six on his first six swings to beat Mancini. And it was a polar bear win again. I'm not surprised. Question, will he come back? That's early speculation. I think even the Pete Alonso winning is one thing. Tree Mancini going three rounds I think is the story of this. Other than Shohei Otani not making it, Trey Mancini hitting consistently 20 plus home runs, it felt like every round it was pretty remarkable just because we don't really see him a lot of, see him play a lot, and he just hit a lot of home runs. It was a fun home run derby. I was tuned in the entire time uh, to watch the whole thing. Uh, that was the first home run derby I've watched in full in several years. Uh, so it was interesting to watch him all play. All the way through. So that was good. Anything else on the home run derby before we proceed to the all-star game itself? I mean, props to the ESPN crew uh, having the StockCast version, not just oh, the regular right. version, I but watched the StockCast version. StockCast was ben- Jason Benetti, Jessica Mendoza, and Mike Petriello. Uh, and they had, they had I love the diagram where they show all the flights of the ball because you could just see all the flights. And then they did the superimpositions of all the pitches, which is where you started seeing about the, the pitching layovers. That was good to know. Uh, so that was a good a good second screen to watch, which was nice to have. And then we move on to the All-Star game itself, which started off with the thing that I think mattered the most to people after the whole game was taken, was moved from Atlanta to Colorado. We covered that with the universe a while ago. Was that the honorary guest was Billy Aaron. And Hank Aaron's wife was the Sarah, walked out with Freddie Freeman and Aaron Judge to start this game. And that's what mattered the most to, I think, pretty much everybody. 
to make sure that Hank Aaron was recognized because arguably the most beloved player in baseball. H- home run king. Yeah. Uh, we still call him the home run king he to is this day. Yeah, uh, just bummer that's not in Atlanta. I wish it was in Atlanta, but, you know, off the field stuff happens. And that's that's that. And then we before the game, we also talked about the rosters. There were so many opt-outs. I heard as many as 34 first-timers were showing up for the All-Star game, which was incredible. The Pirates had two starters, Brian Reynolds and Adam Frazier. So that was just like, if you were watching the game, like the Pirates stink. How do they get Brian Reynolds and Adam Frazier in the lineup? And well, they did. Uh, and then we saw our our dear CL Times reporter, Ryan Divish, report six players from both rosters were traded under Jerry DePoto from the Mariners. Best Seattle moment overall during the game was when a pitcher pitched to a Seattle catcher, a former, a former Seattle pitcher to a Seattle catcher with a Seattle batter. So that was Tywin Walker throws to Mike Zanino. No, throws to Omar Narvaez. Uh, so it's Omar Narvaez with Mike Zanino as the catcher. And then Chris Taylor is playing center field. And Zanino obviously had a home run during the, uh, during the game too. So it was a lot of Mariners, a lot of Mariners jealousy and longing. And then obviously the big moment of the game was the historic moment of Shohei Otani leading off the game with a really fat, really hard hit ground ball to Adam Frazier. And then pitching the next, the bottom of the inning. And he got one through one, two, three. And there was, that was that. And then we go to the next couple innings. We see nothing. And then Vlad Guerrero with the absolutely unloading home run. The home run that seemed to, like you said, travel forever into the, the space behind left field. And there's that. He hit it off of Corbin Burns, which was just another just special moment right there. Corbin Burns being the best pitcher probably in baseball right now and just hit it right off of. JT Realmuto put the National League on the board with a home run. Mike Zanino hit a home run. Which is just so Mike Zanino. Did he, did he strike out? I think, look, he struck out. Well. He struck out too. Yeah, of course he did. He has to. For every home run, there's at least one strikeout for Mike Zanino. American League won the game, eighth in a row. Five, the final was five to two. And Vlad Guerrero Jr. won the MVP. And the youngest ever, a little bit younger than the great King Griffey Jr. So that was the All Star game. Any thoughts on what we saw in the All Star game? Other than the, the historic moment of Shohei Otani. And the just collection of players, I will call it that. Um, I mean, honestly, having the friendly conversation between Cash and uh, Roberts, that was a great moment. They faced each other off in an intense World Series matchup and having a, a good time. Uh, you know, and I think the cool part about the All-Star game is you get to hear what everyone's saying. So everyone's mic'd up. You could hear the bullpen call when Cash is talking to the bullpen. That's kind of cool to hear how it sounds like. And then you could hear all these uh, players smacked up, like Freddie Freeman, Liam Hendricks at the end. A lot well, Freddie, of Freddie Freeman is probably the best mic'd up player, other than Anthony Rizzo, that I've heard in a while. He goes to the Aaron Judge like, you look tall. I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, Aaron Judge is 6'7". Freddie Freeman's like maybe 6'1", 6'2". But I mean, you got to look up at him. It's a, it's a big difference. I wish they would mic up players more. I really do. Yeah, it's, I think it's way more entertaining as I a mean, game. They're looking for a new way to entertain their fans. Mic up players. Yeah, don't freaking change rules. Just mic up players. We just want to hear what they're talking about. We wonder like what what kind of conversations they have. Like uh, 
Wow, like you know, right. they're playing Liam Hendricks, or... the Australian with a R-rated movie out there. I mean, he was. I heard he was. I missed. I was listening to the radio broadcast at that point. I obviously couldn't hear what was happening, but I heard he was spewing a lot of words. <laughs> he was missing a lot of uh, location. Let's right. put it that and way. Liam <laughs> Hendricks is a very talented pitcher, so I'm obviously he's critical. I'm so he wants to do well. Finished the game and we moved on. So there's your three things in the rear view mirror. Oh, well, one more thing, though. One more thing that was actually exciting that never happened. Chris Bryant went up to the plate twice, was a bases loaded in front of him. He struck out once and lined to Jared Walsh, who is not a left fielder, but played left field. And right, made a the Jared, catch. Walsh, Jared Walsh played left field for the first time since the minor leagues, uh, which was interesting. But speaking of Chris Bryant, we move into our fourth and final segment of the cycle this week, and that is our hypotheses for the trade deadline. I'll start with the big seller news. And that's probably the Cubs are going to, un- Cubs seem like they're going to unload the farm on everybody. Namely, Kimbrell. So Craig Kimbrell, the closer. Chris Bryant. Anthony Rizzo. Possibly Javi Baez. And then Ryan Tapera are the names. MVP, that- MVP vote for Ryan Tapera last year. Right. All those players seem to be on their way out. Uh, Kimbrel, I have been heard tied to the Red Sox only because of how they structured Matt Barnes's contract. They got Matt Barnes to sign on Matt Barnes, the All Star. He go in there. Chris Bryant, where's he gonna go? Because and then Anthony Rizzo, I heard could go as even to somewhere like like a Minnesota, like some like strange moves for players. But you have basically that there. That's a whole infield. It seems like is on their way out potentially. Your next one that is another team that's was obviously doing poorly for a while. That's the Rangers. We just saw him in the home run derby. It's Joey Gallo, potentially on the way out. Joey Gallo's got a bat. So uh, I expect a team with who needs a lot of hitting to go for them. But they're, I think the more critical person is Kyle Gibson. I think Kyle Gibson is was a great pitcher in Minnesota, signs with Texas, performs, outperforms himself in Texas. What's going to happen? Because I think every team is looking at the Giants and like Kevin Gossman got good. How could we get a Kevin Gossman type player on our team? And they, I think the closest comp to Kevin Gossman is probably Kyle Gibson. Just a, just a, a player who teams to perform and be consistent. So I think that that's where that is. What, what do you think about those as you go through those first two lines before we get into like some big meteor players? Um, well, I think Joey Gallo has only two lo- uh, two destinations so far from a lot of these reports. It's either the Padres or the New York Yankees. Like Padres, they could use another outfield bat. Yankees, they clearly need an outfield bat who is a lefty for that short porch. So the uh, question is, how, what kind of uh, players will they give up? Uh, problem is, was the Rangers, is they've been pretty horrible at negotiation and they either hold on to their players too much and they lose the opportunity to sell. Or uh, they might need to sell at a lower cost. Um, and co- the interesting part about both Gibson and Gallo is uh, they have one year left, so you know they're not really a rental. They could play next year for you. So it's a right, the, it's the a non-rental go- rental, so to speak. That's the exactly that's the, that's the other one that's really interesting. So we went to some other teams. Minnesota, their team is not performing well. Nelson Cruz on the market again. Jose Barrios, great pitcher, and then Josh Johnson, another corner infielder where will they all end up and then i then we then we go down to the other all-stars adam frazier i think is 
outpaced Trevor Story news in terms of where in terms of being a higher priority for teams than Trevor Story. Trevor Story is a high priority. We will we have mentioned him before, but Adam Frazier getting to the All Star game I think has increased his draft stock. I think the Pirates have the incentive now to sell him. And it's a fact that he could play in outfield too. He's versatile. And then Richard Rodriguez from that team too is probably on the out. We think, right? We think he's on the out. Yeah, I think he is. Like, like what are you going to do as a closer for the next like three years when you're not going to win for the next three years? It's get get him while he's hot, get him while he's good, kind of thing. The Orioles, how much any players will they sell? That's a good question. Uh, this is a sad one, only because like. He's a great player and it means a lot for that team. But I've heard several reports now that have tied Danny Duffy to a lot of trade rumors. And Danny Duffy is a long left-hander. He can go deep into games and endure a lot of pitches. And the right team may want to be incentivized to that. Because we're going to talk about another team in the AL Central in terms of the Tigers. And you put and we put the name now Matt Boyd. Another lefty who can keep pitching a lot of innings. So I think both those players are definitely out there. And then, so the AL Central, I think, is going to unload a lot of players. It seems like between the Tigers, the Royals, the Twins. I mean, you added Jonathan Scope, Robbie Grossman, Michael Fulmer. We'll see what happens. So there's that. And then we move out to, we talked about Colorado, Trevor Story. Danielle Bard, Givens, and CJ Crone. Name that is not going to get traded, according to reports, is Hernan Marquez. He is off the market, which is good to know for, I think, Rockies fans because it's good for them. And then we go, we, we end with Dimebacks. I'm sorry, the Dimebacks are terrible. Will they trade Escobar? And maybe Cattell Marte. But Escobar is definitely, I think, the, the higher of the two on the priority list. Those are your sellers. I think we, uh, how, how do you think we did there? I think that that's a, that's a. Yeah, that's a good amount of team I, that I, we sure know that's going to be a seller. And then uh, we go into the category of buyers where we're sure who's going to be a buyer. And then there's the middle of the pack where we're really not sure, depending on the next two weeks. Right. So the buyers, we know for a fact, I think the AL East and the NL East are going to be buying up players left and right. The divisions are way too close to not try to get create some competitive distance between the two. Red Sox, Rays, Blue Jays, Yankees, and then Mets, Phillies, Braves. Or basically your teams are going to be, I think, the hottest on the search for players. What, who they will pick, I think is a little bit of a mystery still. But those are that. Central division. Just for the AL, just one team. I think it's just the we think we think it's just the White Sox. I don't think the Indians are going to make moves. I don't think the Twins are going to really push anything. I mentioned them as a possible Rizzo destination, but that's iffy at best. But I think it's definitely the White Sox market for the Central and the NL Brewers Cardinals. But the Brewers are way up compared to the Cardinals, so the Brewers are basically going to just how can I make my distance even greater between the two? rest of the, the league. And then if you go out west, Houston, Oakland, and everyone likes Angels, question mark. Well, they just buy players, so they're getting players. But that three-headed monster in the NL West, Giants, Padres, Dodgers, who's going to buy what? 
I have a strange feeling the Giants are not going to do a thing. Like they will buy nobody. They will sell nobody because of how creative Farhan Zaidi has been with that roster. Just how he can move players around and how they've turned like different players into like these star players. They make it a pitcher just to keep adding to pitching, but their fielding has been, their batters have been fine. Yeah, and not to mention Tommy Lastella hasn't been hot yet, and that's like a bat that needs to wake up in that lineup. So right. he, he has he has the reincarnation of Joe Panic in the World Series year if he gets hot again. Joe Panic in the World Series year was just too good to be true. The other thing is kind of the teams that could go either way. Will they sell? Will they buy? The Yankees, the Indians, the Nationals are three that have come up constantly. They all have at least one player that is marketable. The Marlins, they're bottom of the they're bottom of the heap, but they're not too far off the bottom. The Reds, will they put someone out there? We don't really know. And then I'll let you talk about the Mariners because we both, everyone knows, we're both Mariners fans. The one name that you've mentioned a few times, I want you to explain why you think he could be traded, where he could end up. Uh, depending on where the Mariners will be in the next two weeks, if they're losing. I think Mitch Haniger is going to be the guy to go just because Mitch Haniger is having a career resurgent this year and it's the best time to sell and a place that he could go to has been Atlanta Braves just because they lost a great outfielder and he'll be a great potent bat for that lineup uh, and they needed that and he's a great defender too. So I think he goes to Atlanta. So we think he goes to Atlanta. Charlie Morton is the Atlanta piece I think people are going to leave. So the, the question is, what will happen? I don't know. I have a I have some curiosity with all of this. We got about two weeks to see what this all breaks down, but that's kind of the scope of the trade deadline so far. There's a lot of teams that have moved in and out of that way. And I think our six or seven middling team, middle middle of the pack teams, what will happen in their first, let's say, eight to nine games out of the all-star break? What's gonna happen with them? We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I will say that for the Mariners, if they were to buy, they're not going to buy a rental. I think it's going to be a player that could be part of their roster in 2022, at least according to Corey Brook of The Athletic. That's a good point. I don't think the Mariners are in the market for rentals. They're not. They're a little too far off the pace right now. I think the rentals in the AL West are going to go to either the Oakland Athletics or the Astros. Question of the Astros, who the Astros sell? That's an interesting question too, uh, to get all these pieces that they need. Coming up after the break, We'll discuss our preview for the remainder of the Major League Baseball season. So, now the game is continuing. Here, Otani is responding in the interview. Otani, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, everyone. We are here talking about our tips of the cap as we recap the past couple weeks in the league after the All-Star break, the draft, and the derby. Kazuki, you are leading off this week on our tips of the cap. And as I said before, there is a definite star in Milwaukee in terms of rotation. That's Corbin Burns. Then you have Brandon Woodruff, who performed. But now we have a new part of the three-headed monster, and that's Freddie Peralta. Yeah, Freddie Peralta. 
He's part of the three-headed monster in that rotation of Woodruff, Burns, and him. And he's been having a phenomenal year. And last year, he was just a long reliever. Now he's starting. He has a 7-3 record, was a 2.39 ERA, which is good for seventh best in the league. Was 135 strikeouts, which is fourth best. So he clearly has the great stuff. And he figured something out about him. And why it picked him is because of his performance in the All-Star game. So he had an inning to pitch, and he faced all three batters, Dolis Garcia, J.D. Martinez, and Matt Olson, great power hitters of the AAL. He struck out all of them, and he struck out Garcia oh, on yeah. three pitches. He struck out in the All-Star game. Yeah, all three. And then J.D. Martinez on four pitches, and Matt Olson on six pitches. So that's a pretty dominant performance by uh, Freddy Peralta, similar to what Shane Bieber did in 2019 that got him the... Uh, all-Star MVP award. Yeah, there we go. Freddie Peralta. Definitely had a good performance in the All-Star game. And I'll go to the home run derby for my pick, and that's Trey Mancini. We, I, I let it off. It's too, it's too obvious. He beat Matt Olson and Trevor Story before losing to Pete Alonso in the finals. His pitcher was his coach at Notre Dame. He was a Notre Dame player, was Chuck Ristano. They both have been heavily involved in supporting cancer research, which... Let's all remember Trey Mancini was diagnosed with colon cancer a year ago. And stage he, three. Stage three colon cancer. And he had chemo for, I believe, I want to say 18 weeks, a little over four months, it seemed like. Uh, he was also diagnosed at the same time as teammate from college, Ricky Palmer. Ricky Palmer, unfortunately, passed away from his bout with cancer. So Mancini and Rastano were basically playing for Palmer, it felt like, the entire game. And it seemed like Mancini has a lot of strength. He seemed he did got some superhuman strength, it seemed like. To just, he can hit home runs. It's not, be, it's not mince words there. But the depth and drive of those home runs was pretty incredible because you get the same level of home runs it felt like every round. Plus, he outperformed Story with half a minute left almost. So that was a great performance. And Trey Mancini's story is just enough to make him, the, I believe, the comeback player of the year for the season, hopefully. Um, we'll see. There are other players who are in the, in the mix for that, I would say. But definitely his story hits a lot with a lot of people. And it's very glad to see him get his chance in the crowd in Colorado. When they lost Trevor's story, they were all behind Trey Mancini, which was wonderful to see. Because Trey Mancini was up, had, his up, had himself up against the, a tough figure in Alonzo in the end. And good for him. Uh, and now we'll move over to the, the not-so-good side. And we've picked two teams, each one of us, one team apiece, that have really underperformed coming into the All-Star break. And you're up first. And my pick is the Minnesota Twins. So we expected the Minnesota Twins to win the AL Central or at least be competitive against the great rising White Sox and Cleveland Indians. And this year, they're not. Coming into the break, uh, their record's 39-50, and 50, so below 500, in fourth place, and 15 games back of the White Sox. And they're likely sellers selling their key assets or or we expect that they're going to blow up at this point because their core is not getting any younger. So they're aging. So they have to get rid of players now and let the young guys like Kirloff and uh, Gordon, all these guys to play. So I think that's what's going. But I want to review what went wrong in the first half for them. So the first point I like to tell are injuries, injuries, injuries. So injuries to their uh, first round uh, draft pick, Byron Buxton, Michael Pineda, Max Kepler, Luis Arise, and Kyle Garlick being injured, that did not help them at all. So there were no offense and great defense. 
And uh, on top of that, they did not retain great talent and th- those talent uh, blossomed everywhere. And that includes Akil Badu, Kyle Gibson, Ryan Presley, Sergio Romo, uh, and also there's Nick Anderson who could have helped. I mean, he's injured right now, but who could have helped. So there were a lot of great players that they could have maintained, but they blossomed elsewhere. And their free agent signing did not work this year at all. Let's start off with starting rotation was J.A. Happ. He had an ERA of 5.9 in May and June after stellar April. So that's pretty bad. And then the week next, you have Matt Shoemaker, who you signed for one year, had a record of 3-8 and eight and 8.06 ERA. And guess where he went? He got DFA'd. He's no longer part of the team. And then you look at your two bullpen arm, Alex Colomay, who was supposed to be the closer of the, of the whole like twins. And after April, his ERA was over 8.31 that he no longer pitches for a high liver situation whatsoever. And then you have Hansa Robles, who's your make or break deal. Um, and that's not working too well. He has a 4.15 ERA, was a 5.1 walks per nine. He's walking a lot of batters. That's not great. And what was their strength last year was their bullpen. And their collective ERA this year as a bullpen is 4.91, which is 25th in the league. And that number was at 3.38 last year, which was sixth best in the Major League Baseball. So having a horrible bullpen and horrible rotation made the Twins regress all the way down to fourth place in that division. They definitely regressed. I would say that's, that's the word of the day for them, word of the season for them. Thank you, Kazuki. And my, my pick is pretty simple. I'm revisiting the Chicago Cubs. They slid hard into the All-Star break. On their last 20 games up to the All-Star break, they went 5-15, time for the worst bargain in the league with the Orioles and the Royals. They were the division leader to being probably the number one seller around the trade deadline. From June 25th to July 6th, they lost 11 games. They allowed 15 runs twice during that time frame. Who are those two? Milwaukee division rival, and the Phillies with a week apart. And that's no way to go into the All-Star break. And I think it was pretty clear that Jed Hoyer just basically said, we're, we're kind of at that point now where we're going to sell. So there, there, there's, there's my quick give them the hook. And I, we'll see what happens coming out of the break, but I don't think they're in any position to really make any big changes. And I think they're definitely on the outs in terms of the playoffs. And with that... We're, we're going to talk about, we're going we're to go into our mixtape, our breakup mixtape. As, as a generation, a person of a generation, we, if you go into a breakup, make a mixtape, you have a certain song that you really get to. And I have been dreaming of this kind of segment for a while as I research a lot of music, as people have re- realized when I create this segment every month, that it's just fun for all of us to kind of enjoy a called musical appreciation. For this, I will say that I found most of these songs by simply stumbling upon them. There's nothing like originally how I found them. Uh, but the the song that I wish I, I would have chosen when I originally thought of this, but it's a little too, has a little more violent nature to it, a little bit too much of a colonial nature to it, which would have been the Hamilton musical song, You'll Be Back, the King George's song. I mean, it's perfect just to explain like express them as like, you're leaving the British empire and you're going to become your own colony, but you'll be back. We'll take you over again. All those other things. It was just, it encapsulates all the feelings that I want in a trade deadline, but it was it, the, the nature of the song didn't really fit the bill for me, but everyone loves Hamilton. If you love, I, I really like Hamilton. I hope 
our listeners do too. So if you listen to that song, I think it will really just make you feel a certain way. But with that, I have four songs today for my mixtape for breakups. The first one being a one that's very recent, a very recent song uh, by a band from Boston, now living in Brooklyn. That's Lake Street Dive and their new hit single, Hypotheticals. The band was formed in 2004, as all of them were part of New England, New England Conservatory of Music in Boston, Massachusetts. Band members include Rachel Price, Mike Olson, Bridget Kearney, Mike Calabresi, and Aki Ernis. The song Hypotheticals is from the band's seventh studio album, which was released in March after being delayed. The song is a little bit of everything. It's kind of like the hodgepodge we all wanted, a bit of blues, rhythm, rhythm, rhythm and blues, folk rock, 60 eras rock, a little bit of Beatles influence you can tell in there. It's a great song. Um, it has already reached top 10, particularly in vinyl. So that's uh, a great way to start us off. So we have entered our our contemplation phase. We have all like, should we, shouldn't we, should we do this, should we not? So we, we're, we've written that. And now we're going to have the breakup. And there is no song, no song I go to without a breakup other than the potential breakup song by Ali and AJ. Ali and AJ Mashalka are sisters from Torrance, California. They both formed a sisterly musical duo in 2004, similar to our first band discussed, They performed also as 78 Violet for several years in the late 2000s before the 2010s. This song, potential breakup song, was originally released in 2007. It charted in seven countries, was certified platinum in the U.S. And it just kind of sat there. It just kept getting airtime. It was one of, the, it's one of their only songs to ever reach this level of success. The sisters at that time released their album Insomniatic. They were in many, they're both them were in Disney Channel perform, um, films and television shows. They've gone on to a very successful television career over the years. Allie, the older sister, has been in shows like Hellcats, iZombie, and Ryan Hansen Solves Crimes on Television. AJ was part of, has been part of the show The Goldbergs and still is. She was also the lead actor in the spinoff show Schooled. So they they are definitely multi-talented. But in late 2020, right at the height of like what uh, they were doing with their, their latest musical project, they re-recorded potential breakup song and inserted explicit lyrics. And there are very few times in your life where you could relive a moment in your relive a moment from your childhood. That that like listening to that song and then juxtaposing as like the current version, it just it's good. Uh, it definitely was released right around New Year's Eve, and they teased it quite well, and it was released, and it already has blossomed to many million views on YouTube. I think TikTok has done something. Spotify's charted a few times already, recharted. So that's great. So we've, we've now broken up. We are, we are now sitting in this phase of like, how do I handle my feelings? And with handling your feelings and like dealing with both the sadness and the unexpected, the unknown, the vulnerability of it all, I default to a song that I learned about many years ago. It's an emotional song, but it's a funk song in every sense of the word. And we're traveling across the globe for this one. We're going to Wellington, New Zealand. And that is a song by Fat Freddy's Drop, a seven-piece member blues, jazz, reggae, combo, funk band. And their song, Clean the House, off their album, Blackbird. The song was released in 2013. I discovered this song, of all places, on the Sirius XM Margaritaville channel, which, yes, is the home of Jimmy Buffett music. My family has several members who are proud, proud parrotheads. 
and I have been alert to this station on occasion. I'm glad I wasn't on this time because this song is great. I have the album. The album is fantastic. It reminds me a lot of Chicago. Chicago is a band that I mentioned in our first episode. It is multiple piece instrumental group plus vocalists. This song peaked at number 30 in the in their native New Zealand. But what's more impressive is that the band's first four studio albums all reached number one in their native New Zealand. That's incredible for a band that mostly is known in the eastern part of the world. Asia, New Zealand, Australia, and parts of Europe. That band is incredibly well-known. They are a hit funk band. And it's incredible to watch this, this song as I've learned about it by researching it now many years later, been so successfully received. So we, we've gone through our first three stages and we've gone to our fourth stage. And that is when you get picked up and you get, you're on something new. And I am very honored to use this song. This song is probably the reason between potential breakup song and this song about the name was the reason why I created this segment. And that is a song Move On by Claire Dunn because if there's anything that country music can do is use a great double entendre. Uh, because the song is about moving on with somebody else. Uh, it's like, it's like, why don't you move on with me? It's like you get picked up and now you're part of the exciting, revo- like, revo- part of exciting sequence of a new team. So who is Claire Dunn? You may not know who she is. And for those of you that do, good for you. Claire Dunn was picked up as a Sirius XM highway find, which is Sirius XM is a, a highway is their hits country music channel for like recent hits, like their pop country music channel with her song Get Out in 2013. Catapulted to the country music breakout chart, first independent female artist to make this chart, top the chart. Move On was released in 2015 off being, after being signed to MCA Nashville, so her first real record deal. Off her self-titled album, received a ton of airplay, chart number 45 on U.S. country airplay charts and 48 on U.S. country charts overall. What I love about this song is how amazing Claire Dunn is on the guitar. There is something so pure and so wonderful about watching the music video and just seeing her shred on the guitar. I I think of people in Nashville who can shred on a guitar. And I, I have a trifecta of people. It's Claire Dunn, um, and um, Lindsay L. and Lizzie Hale from the Hailstrom. I decided to think about that. And then my fourth person, who is not from Nashville, but obviously an amazing guitar player, is her. All four of them, I believe, all have named guitars app for themselves. So, so the, the level of just proficiency on the guitar for all of them, Claire Dunn and Pico in this case, just incredible. She has toured with Miranda Lambert and Keith Urban, and her most recent EP was just released last year. So with that, we've gone through our full mixtape. We've gone through, you have what ha- will they, won't they, to it happened, to the feelings of it after it happened, to recovery and that, re- that rebirth and that, re- that, that Phoenix feeling of rejuvenation again. And I'm glad I was able to do that for everyone today. And with that, we'll, we'll, we'll end with uh, extra innings and we have a bonus segment today. So we'll start with the extra innings. Kazuki pointed out to me during the All-Star game, there were some great ads. And he was right. So during the All-Star Game and the Home Run Derby, there were some great ads. Uh, one that I particularly liked was the preview for the Monsters at Work Disney Plus series when it was on it. So the ESPN broadcast did this, obviously. And they had a segment where they were all in a, all the monsters were in a baseball stadium. And they go to Bob Yucker, 
to call the to call the game. And Bob Yucker was voiced by the great Bob Yucker from the Milwaukee Brewers podcast, who obviously was in major leagues. So that's that's how I feel. I mean, that that was the one that really hit it. And then the showtime for Shohei Otani preview was just every language, every word was coming across the screen. It was just incredible. Uh, and then you brought up a few others that were particularly notable just because baseball needs to be a little, like, make a little, make itself a little more fun. And I think they were slowly doing this with the commercials. Yeah, I think the T-Mobile commercial was uh, Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton was pretty cool. Um, they were trying to point out how T-Mobile has a better 5G coverage and without T-Mobile's 5G, what Stanton heard was to go to a little league game in order to hit more home runs. And he just does that and hit a home run in a little league game, which was uh, kind of a Ha, kind of fun, dumb but clever, um, you know, joke, and that was a pretty good ad. Yeah, and then the other one was the uh, players all driving to the game in Colorado, and like what they would all be doing and like playing cross. I think Garrett Cole was playing a crossword. Um, every player was doing something a little bit different, and then Justin Turner was like, "Which well, is a fake car? <laughs> what are we doing here?" So it's just really a good way to kind of, like I said, baseball needs to look a little more fun, and I think they did it hopefully quite well there, and, and then. We'll enter into what we call a bonus segment because every game that has extra innings needs a walk-off, potentially. So we'll walk off our episode, our last episode for the month of July with our wild and crazy early predictions for the second half of the season. Uh, Kazuki, I'll go to you first. Who do you think will start off the best? Uh, you know what? I think my guests will start in the AL East. It'll be both the Boston Red Sox and Tampa Bay Rays. And I think the Red Sox will go hot because of Jaron Duran, who's going to play in the Olympics. So that first two weeks, he'll be playing so hard because he's so talented. It'll go off pretty well. And then you'll have Chris Sale coming back soon. They're going for have a, have a juvenation and a jolt to start off the second half. Same with Tampa Bay Rays. They have all their prospect coming up. Ruhan and everyone else is back up again. They're going to probably go pretty hard and fast. So those two teams will go. And I think my prediction in terms of like who's making a playoff, I'll say that right now. Red Sox, Tampa, Oakland, Houston, and then the White Sox for five team in the AL. NL, I think it's going to be the Mets. And then you have Brewers. I think they're going to make it. And then the rest are the uh, three-headed monster in the NL West. So those are my bold prediction right there. And oh, the other one who's going to get hot, I think Dodgers. Don't count out the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers will go in very hot despite their uh, injuries and a lot of uh, other issues. I think the team that's going to start off hot is the Mets. I really think that I think the Mets are going to, I think are trying to figure out what's going on. So the Mets are my, my team that start off really well. And I will copy you and say the Rays. I think the Rays, now they have everyone and they're kind of figuring out this flow of the players. What's going to happen there? I think who's going to really fall off very quickly is the Cubs, the Reds, and I'm going to say that the, the Yankees probably will not make the playoffs. I don't really know what's going to happen with the Yankees. But I think the Yankees are definitely, there's so many mysteries with them in terms of how they're going to remain consistent and do they really need a trade for somebody. I think that's where you're going to lose. That's, that's my not-so-hot Thing. Uh, in terms of players, you look anyone in particular for players looking for. You mentioned Jared Duran. I think the prospects are going to come up. It's just going to be the players to watch. Um, I will say that the Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay prospect pool, Bruhan, Walls, and Franco. I think that's going to be so much fun to watch in terms of what's going to happen. And then for me, the player to watch 
is Tommy. You mentioned Tommy Lestella. If he gets hot, that's a definite game changer. And the NL West is going to be just is already competitive enough. So. Oh, in terms of NL East, the one player I would watch out for is Aaron Nola, who's been very unlucky this year. For the, if he, for the Phillies, yeah. Yes, yeah, so if he gets hot, then Mets might have some company that's coming right, up. They already have Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler has been phenomenal. And in terms of notable games, I think the series to start it off, which we're, we're taping while it's about to be prepared to start, and that's the Red Sox and the Yankees. Get back, get back in a hurry for that one. I will say that the game that's, if it gets done, if it actually gets played, the Field of Dream game in Iowa is going to look so cool. I really hope that game comes off. Uh, I know that there'll be some important series with a lot of teams. I think towards the end of the year, towards the end of the, I think the the, the Cubs games in this next 10 days are going to be the most important things for them. We'll determine if they're going to sell or not. And then I think the games that will be most important in general are every NL West division game. I don't care if you're the Diamondbacks or the Rockies. Every game is going to mean so much of value because anyone can steal a game from you. Because the Diamondbacks have stolen games from all three of those teams. So I think that's going to be what's going to be the real irking of those teams. Is because are they going to get pushed away or pushed aside by their own company? Those are the games I'm looking forward to. Anything, anything for you? Uh, yeah, definitely NL West games, all of them, because... You can't count out those bottom feeders because they could ruin your result overall. So that's going to really sting the standing. Uh, I would also pay attention to the AL West. I think, I mean, right now it's Houston, but I think the wild card race is kind of interesting right now. You have the rising Mariners. We don't know how they're going to do. And yeah, they're facing off Cleveland. There's Oakland and Tampa. So what's that wild card race? Or, or well, Blue Jays will rise up once they have pitching. So I think that's the race I want to look for is the AL wild card race. And I think we have we have to end on a Mariners on a Mariners on a Mariners note and a Blue Jays note. Um, I I am not sure it when, but the what the status is with the Canadian border. But that series, if whenever that series occurs and if fans can come across, I think that could be the biggest per, biggest game in Major League Baseball to date. Because that series already is already just a border war in itself. But the fact that it's like it's permissible at that time if it's allowed. If not, I think there'll be enough people from Canada in the, around the Seattle area to be there. But it's such an, a unique environment. Plus those two teams now with their potential for the wild card. So on that note, everyone, we wish you a very nice and very happy rest of July. Uh, we'll be back in several weeks. Make sure you are subscribed. And make sure you also rate and review wherever you find your podcast. And until we see you next time, enjoy the baseball. That's it for this episode of Center Baseball. This episode of Center Baseball is hosted and produced by me, Kazuki Kiba and Brandon Beiser. This episode was edited by Kazuki Kiba with additional research by Brandon Beiser. Our theme song is by Kay Margus. Center Baseball is a production of Daylight and Media 3 Limited. We'll be back with another episode. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast as more people will know about this show. Go to daylightinteractive.com to see some exclusive updates and more about our upcoming shows. I'm Kazuki Akiba. And I'm Brandon Beiser. And this has been Sound Our Baseball.